0: Hey everybody, this is Kim Bean and you are listening to All Things Wolf and Wild. When I, when I first spoke with Brad Orsted about doing a podcast with me, it really, it was about this, uh, movie that he's got coming out and, um, I was really excited about that and Brad and I talked and we talked for quite a while and, uh, what happened in that conversation was a bigger picture than a movie. It was a story about survival. It was a story about grief. It was a story about tragedy. It was a story about one man's journey through it all, and a continued journey. Um, it was Brad's story. And he told it to me, and I was compelled to really kind of push my typical story of wildlife a little bit to the side and talk about something greater that wildlife and wild lands helped um, helped Brad. Work through the grief. So Brad's story is his own, and and it's it is a very tragic story, but many of us have tragic stories, and they are very unique to ourselves, and we all have grief that we have to get through. And Brad's story is absolutely, oh, it's tearful, it's hard. And it's messy and it's so human and it needs to be told. And I am so thankful that I have the opportunity and that he's given me and trusted me to have that conversation. So that we can all maybe grab a piece of hope. If you're going through something, knowing that those moments, there are moments that will help you see and help you move forward through grief. And I'm really, really touched that I have the ability to tell this story. And I'm really hopeful that you too will find something useful in this story. So Brad and I have so much to talk about because he is a complex cat. I'm telling you, there's a lot to talk about. This is the first part in what um, I find to be really important story to continue later uh, because there is so much more to tell and so much more to hit on. But this is a long episode, but it is a story and a conversation that is incredibly gripping, incredibly amazing, and it's hard. So... Hang tight. Hang tight and uh, hang out with uh, Brad Orstead and myself. Good morning, Brad. Thank you so much for taking your time away from your day in Yellowstone and your family just to hang out with me for a little bit. I appreciate you. You have accomplished a lot in your life, especially in the last 10 years or so in Yellowstone Um, You're an amazing photographer, which we have to talk about because there is one photo that I have to have on my wall. Uh, You know, filmographer, an advocate, a podcaster, and a writer, amongst other things, right? But your journey that's led you here, it's come with some pretty extreme loss and darkness. Can you just touch on that just a little bit?
1: Yeah, of course, Kim. And I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here. I've I've been a fan for a while, so it's a real treat to be here. So I I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, so starting back in 2010, we were in Holland, Michigan, and our 15-month-old daughter, Marley, was tragically killed, just mysteriously died somehow at my mom's house, uh, which sent me down. This terrible rabbit hole of grief and trauma and, you know, having to go ID your daughter at the hospital, you know, 15-month-old will will stick with you. And uh, it it put me in in a pretty bad place. I was full of guilt and anger and resentment and confusion, and we never really knew what happened. Um, We still don't, to this day, know what happened. So, uh, you know, I went to see some doctors and they put me on a bunch of prescriptions and they said, definitely do not drink with these prescriptions. And what I heard was definitely drink with these prescriptions. (laughs) So um, that's where I was in, that happened, uh, we lost Marley on July 15th of 2010. So yeah, by in 2010, 2011, I was, I was just still really a train wreck.
0: I can only—I Im- can't imagine. I wouldn't even try to attempt that. That's just a horrendous place to be and a horrible thing to have happen. Um, it brought you—you uh, know—losses uh, is—it's—it's it's in its own right for everyone. Everyone has loss in their life and how they work through it and deal with it and so on and so forth. To lose a baby, I can't even imagine. So my heart goes out to you and your family. It brought you here brought you to yellowstone actually How, what what moved you to yellowstone what made you come out this direction from
1: michigan yeah so when when we lost marley the the place for me uh and and my wife at the time was we, we just went north um up to northern michigan up to the up that was our place of sanctuary and and just to get away from everything uh, back down lower in the state so um we we knew we kind of wanted to leave that Holland area, just you know, that big house with her empty bedroom and it was just so much for everybody. Um, I wanted to go north. I wanted to go to the UP. I wanted to go as close to Lake Superior as I could get because that's where I felt closest to Marley. But you know, we had two girls, so we have to think about school and, and some other things. And so um Stacy, my wife, is looking for another job and she said, Hey, uh, there's this job available in Yellowstone. and She goes, what do you what do you think about that? And I said, I, I don't think about it, honestly. And just kind of walked away. And then she brought it up again. <laughs> she goes, what do you think? What do you think about us? What do you think about me getting a job in Yellowstone? I said, you do that and I'll be an astronaut. It'll be amazing. Right. And so I was very reluctant to come here because Michigan is where folks close to Marley. And so, long story short, Stacy got a job with Yellowstone Association, and uh, you know, I was terrified about what I was going to do. And uh, I was a photographer for the local paper, photojournalist is uh, photojournalism is what I went to school for. And wow. and so, anyways, uh, the executive director from Yellowstone Association called me, and he said, "I understand your concerns. Would you consider coming out here and teaching photography in Yellowstone for us?" And I said, well, you know, I'll probably have to sleep on that. But, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do that. That that sounds great. Perfect. <laughs> so yeah. that's how we ended up living in, in, in uh, Lower Mammoth, you know, moving. So timeline-wise, that was December 2011 when Stacy was offered the job. Within three weeks, we had packed the whole house, sold everything. We couldn't pack and we were on our way to Yellowstone with a, you know, this ginormous armada caravan of birds and dogs and cats, you know, <laughs> just everything, kids, the whole thing. So um, by, it was January 8th, 2012 is when we arrived in Yellowstone.
0: Wow. It sounds to me like there was some serious intervention there. There was a divine intervention for both to, to have you both. You're concerned about how you're going to survive your your portion. Your wife's already saying, "Hey, let's do this. Let's get away from here." Um, it's almost as if everything was pulling you away from what you would have considered your safety zone, right? Um, to go to some place that have you have you been to Yellowstone before?
1: Yeah. So I've been out here um, in 2004, 2005. I did a road trip with a friend okay. um, and I'd always been an animal kid growing up. But, you know, this is just this is Epic. this was the anon on steroids. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what I love about it. That's what makes it the greatest place on Earth, in my opinion, you know, is that wherever you're standing, you're you're bound to see something. Uh, wild in general, and it's uh, it's to the heart, which we'll get into in a little bit. But So you moved to Yellowstone. You're both working for the association. Um, life is still not good. It's still not perfect. It's still not changed. It's still not filled. Um, you get into the photography. How did – tell me a little bit about that. Tell me how things started to roll with you as you were in Yellowstone and where you were at because I think it's really important to – really understand your journey and how that kind of brought you to today. So you get to Yellowstone, you're working, you're teaching. Kind of tell me where you're at with that.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, just to, to back up just a sec, when I, you know, when I, I finally acquiesced that, you know, we would move to Yellowstone, such a horrible thing. And, and we got here and so I took a guide course with Yellowstone Association. Um, it was a three week course and halfway through, they said, Hey, my Lord, why don't you come guide for us? You're really good at this. I mean, I, I had decided in Michigan that I was going to make a fresh start in Yellowstone. I was going to leave the poo, the, the pills, the booze, mm. the everything behind, right. I was going to pack up everything healthy in Michigan and bring it to, to Yellowstone. What I did is I packed up all the PTSD, and the trauma and the addiction mm-hmm. in Michigan. And I just unpacked it yeah. um, in Yellowstone. And so uh, being in the, I started reading everything. So I was terrified of grizzly bears. So I started reading everything I could get, and then it went into geology and the history and the and the indigenous cultures there. And so it was the first time in years that like my brain was starting to fire again. And so I took this course, and they offered me a job. And I, you know, I'm telling my friends I've got a job guiding and teaching photography in Yellowstone. Like a year, you know, and a half later, i maybe things are are looking better. And so then they ran ran my driver's license and um, 100 days to the date after we lost Marley, I got my very first and only ever DUI. And so when they ran that, they they said, we're really sorry, but you're not going to be able to guide for us because of that. And so, you know, it was like a bad country line dance. I'd take one step forward and two steps back constantly, you know, and I just, when I lost that opportunity, I was just, I was devastated, right? So I had my camera with my little kit lens and I just started tooling around Yellowstone, right? I'm like, I knew if I stayed home, I was going to drink, I was going to medicate. It was just, it was going to get worse. Had to get outside. And so I started tooling around with my little kit lens and, you know, the first time, (laughs) There's a carcass down, you know, and I, was, you know, I was the first one to find this carcass, and so um, there's a coyote on it. I'm like, awesome, and I get out with my little 18 to 135, and then like <laughs> all the pro photographers show up and start dropping these 500 and 600s, oh, yeah. I felt really anemic. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm just gonna just gonna go home yeah. now. And um uh, a, a guy from Yellowstone Association who knew our story, who knew what had happened, um. Gave me a 400 millimeter lens, Sweet. and he said, "Just go, take it, have fun, dude. You deserve it. Go have fun." So I just—that's what I did every day. I would just go out and just, you know. So I go back and look at my pictures now, and I, you know, I've got like 20,000 horrible snapshots from Yellowstone. You know, when you first get here, you just photograph oh, yeah. everything—every pine needle, every every pine cone, every thermal, and, and, and any steam, mm-hmm. any blue sky. You know, any animal. And thirty you know, shots so, of each. Uh, 30 but shots it helped. Each. Me, yes, right. I mean, it was. I was going back to my uh, journalism days of uh, you know, we called it spray and pray,
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) You just hold the shutter down and
1: and just hope you get one, (laughs) yeah. So that's what I was doing, but it gave me something positive in my life to do. And it was, um, you know, I was still one step forward and two step back. You know, I go out during the day a lot of times and, and maybe see some things, but. Um at night it was a sad and lonely place again. Mm,
0: yeah. Quiet. Where you had time to think again and there wasn't something occupying that space. Ugh. Correct. So you get into the park, you're photographing, you're starting to feel a purpose. To me that's kind of um that's a step, right? Whether you recognize it at the time, it's definitely a step forward through grief. Not out of it, but through it. Um Tell me where you you know that's it's it's such an important part of going through grief is just understanding how it it takes time and the things that you go through. Um, so you're photographing everything from pine needles to the sky to carcasses to feeling inadequate <laughs> when it comes to certain things. But people are there, <laughs> isn't it funny how you have those certain people that just kind of pop into your life out of nowhere. And for some unknown reason, there's goodness there. And it kind of helps you get through certain portions of, of um, your life and into into the next step, I guess, or the next stage. But you start learning about Yellowstone. Your your brain's firing. You're learning more. Um, what takes you to that next step where you start really diving deep? I mean, it's funny that you and we'll obviously hit this another time but you know afraid of grizzly bears which it's it's a good thing it's a good innate fear to have right <laughs> i mean we shouldn't not fear yeah. certain things but you know you're a, you're kind of a bear guy which is kind of interesting but you start photographing you end up in <laughs> multiple parts of the park um tell me what you start looking for within you know those wild things and within yourself where were you at I guess basically continue to Yeah, you story. know,
1: so when, um, yeah, we, so um, when, before I took that course, it was the, the, the employees were, uh, employee spouses were offered a free course. And so being in a sour mood, I, you know, Stacy told me, Hey, here's a catalog. You're entitled to a free course. So I thought, I'll just take the most expensive one. I don't even care what it is. <laughs> and it was the, it was the interpretive guide interpretive guide one you know which was a a three-week total immersion into that but she had left that course catalog for me and i was sitting at the kitchen table one morning you know just depressed and hurt and you know this same just that looping hell inside my head and i look at that course manual and i thought do i have the even the wherewithal to fill this thing out and should i even do it and i'm looking out our back window in lower mammoth out towards the helipad mount everts Mm -hmm. As I'm staring out there trying to figure out what to do next, a black wolf with Mm -hmm. a collar pops up into our backyard Mm -hmm. like 50 feet away through the picture window, and we both just freeze. And my camera's sitting on the kitchen table, but I'm like, if I flinch, this animal's gone. Like he popped up not expecting to see me, and we both just kind of went – and oh, so he just stayed there for a second. And I waited and waited, waited. And I finally went to reach for my camera and he turned around and dropped right back down from where he came from. Uh, but I took that as a sign to fill that thing out. And even though that didn't work out, what it did is I found out that that was 712, the alpha male oh, of the, of the um, canyon. canyon pack that was hanging around Mammoth the winter of 2012. Yep. And so I just started, when I lost my job, I just. All I wanted to do is just track wolves. I wanted to be out with wolves. And at one point I had walked down behind our house. I had no camera, no binoculars, no nothing. And I saw wolf tracks and I thought, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big tracker now. I've been here two months (laughs) and I see all these tracks, you know? And and so I'm looking at, I'm like, these are fresh, but I don't know, two hours or two days. I I really didn't know. And so I'm following these tracks looking down and I finally look up and there's a wolf just standing on the ridge. And then there's two and there's four and then there's 10 and the whole pack is around me and they're just bedded and just kind of, you know, really, I didn't even see them, um, you know, and I ended up back and tracking them, leaving them alone and then backing, backtracking them to a kill. And, and anyways, it was one of the first days where I spent four or five hours out there, soaked, cold, tired, exhausted, blood sugar crashed. And I felt amazing. You know, when I got home, I'm like, there's that, there was a spot in there. Where I didn't think about tragedy, I didn't think about losing our daughter, I didn't think about losing my mom, I didn't think about all of that stuff. I was so, you know, just snot rolling down my face and <laughs> freezing in my mustache, and I was, I was in heaven. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was just a moment, a time in there where I, the past and the future didn't matter, and my mind didn't oscillate between the two. I was just there. But it was one of the first times it happened when I got home, that and I, I, I even questioned myself like, did that really happen? Did, it, did I just make that up? Is this just romanticizing it now that I'm home and warm? Or did something really happen out yeah. there? So that's when I really started getting, you know, and everybody's driving out. And I, you know, went out to see 832 and 754 and 755, the Lamar Canyon Pack. And she's so famous. And everybody's like, oh, you're not going to see her? You're not going to see her? I'm like, I've got a white wolf in my backyard. Yeah. In my opinion, <laughs> so the wolf, I would yes. just, <laughs> I would just follow that Canyon pack. I'd watch everybody go flying past me, heading out to Lamar. You know, even when I was taking that course, people would ask me, I mean, I got to the point where people would go, Hey, has anyone seen the, the Canyon pack? And they'd go ask Brad because I would go out every morning and I was getting really good at finding these wolves. Okay. They were here yesterday. They haven't eaten that. I know of in a couple of days, they're moving that way. There's a bunch of elk on that Hill. I'm going to look there first thing in the morning. And it was just it gave me something to do. And it gave me an identity, even though I wasn't hiding per se for, you know, or at all for, for YA, that people were already looking at, at me three or four months into it as the guy that knew where the wolves were. Yeah. You know, I had you know people calling me that were coming to the park. Hey, we're coming in. Any idea where the wolves are? And I'm like, yep, have a nice day. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly where they're at, and I work my butt off, and I'm not going to tell you either. Yeah, I'm not so, here. I'm not the information
0: highway. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> this is something that I yeah just you can check it. Drived for? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I
1: get it. Yeah, yeah. I work my butt off to know where they're at, and I like where they're at right now. And if you start dropping cameras and everybody else does, they're not going to be there for long. And I'm enjoying watching them, and it's part of my, you know, just it's part of my healing. I didn't realize it then, but was so much a part of initiating that healing.
0: Oh God, it, 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 there's something about that. I think that um, you know when we had talked um, earlier, and and I was in the park at the obvious that you know around the same time I worked in the park in 2011, and then moved to Montana and was there a lot in the winter of 2012 and on, and so. I know where you're talking. I know the ridge. I know, where, I know the area, um, so I understand that, and I understand that feeling. I, back in the day with the Hayden Pack, where I would hike and hike and hike in, and you know the experiences. And there's something very, um, and I, I keep using the word innate, but there's something in the kernel of our brain that goes back, and it is something very primal, in my opinion it's mine, um, when having that experience with a wolf, and you had said some very about the black wolf where it just popped in to your view, and it stared at you, and you stared back, and there's something, it was a sign. You took it as a sign, and I believe in that sign, but I'm curious, what do you think that sign was to move forward? What, what was your sign? What do you feel that, that it was?
1: I, that's a great question, you know, and had I not filled <clears throat> that form out and taken that class and it was three weeks full immersion, you know, in the field, in the classroom, learning first aid and everything you're going to need to be a guide out there. right? Mm-hmm. So had I not, if he not popped up, I probably would have dismissed that and just carried on with whatever I was doing. But, you know, it's just those little nuances those little things when we're trapped in our grief or or stress or wherever we're at when our head's not with us um you miss those cues those nuances right as i would find out later they're everywhere if you're open to them right and i was just so locked in my grief that you know but i even at that point i'm like okay it's like you know 11 o'clock in the morning this wolf just popped up and stared at you and then ran back down into the sage. that's there's something there. Take that. And I do believe that that was a pivot point in my life because it was a mm-hmm. full immersion. Like I said, I loved it. I learned everything. I go home and read at night and I you go know, back the next day and, you know, I just, I really enjoyed it. It gave me so much purpose. And had I not done that, I'd, I, it's hard to say.
0: So it definitely gave you that, like you said, it was a pivotal point. It was something that gave you, if nothing else almost a purpose for moving forward somewhere moving into um the unknown which was Yellowstone and which was that wildlife and that that need to go forward and search for and search within and I think that's uh, I know that I love wolves and I know that um I have a, um, a passion for wolves but um I can't express enough and I think that's why I keep pushing it but that time that you have that ability to look into a wolf's eyes and know that they're looking back at you. And it can be seconds because it usually isn't for long (laughs) with the wolf when they're looking at you, but there's something that's said and it's between you and that wolf and people can say that sounds crazy, but I cannot say it enough. It is absolutely primal. And it is to the soul, not to the heart. It is to the soul, and they are saying something. And it, it's up to you to listen. And it happens, and it does change lives. And we know this. Um, I know you know this. I know this. And we've seen it happen with a lot of PTSD um, soldiers that have worked with wolves. But you also had a moment with the Canyon Alpha Female. It was with the white wolf like you said you had a moment where you looked into her eyes and I've you know I love this girl loved to love loved her so tell me a little bit more about your experience with the wolves and then we can kind of kind of roll on with your life but to me I think it's very 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 important part of your change
1: moving forward yeah for sure I mean I <clears throat> The first time, so growing up in the Midwest, I had a a doll, Wolfie, that I grew up with, right? And it was like the hard plastic faced wolf that, like every wolf, wore a red and white checkered shirt and ripped up (laughs) jeans. And you know, that's 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 what I slept with was Wolfie, and he had a dark face and a dark, you know, muzzle and a dark hair, and he was almost like a werewolf doll. And so that's what I thought wolves looked like. And so the first time I saw that all white. Canyon Alpha female, I went, oh, she came all the way from Alaska. It's amazing. <laughs> how did she get here? I mean, I seriously, I love it. There's so little that I thought she, I'm like, how did they get here from Alaska? That's, you know, I was so blown away and I was so infatuated by her because she was so striking yeah. and so different. And so many times I uh, was out hiking by myself. Um, and I would, you know, I would just see her, there was a couple times up on the um, old road, that stagecoach road between Mammoth and Gardner. Mm-hmm. And I was out one time and, um, you know, that just wintertime hiking along and that I think I was heading down to town for something. And, and again, turn around and there's the canyons and just watching her. And you know, the funny thing I, I really liked about her, you, you go out, you watch eight, three, two, F those six female, yes, and she was such a doting mother mm-hmm. You know, she, she was, she was such a doting mother and she would always bring stuff back. And then I go look at the Canyon alpha female. It's like, once her pups came to her, she's like, "Oh yeah, get away. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> she's like, in the mood I'm, today. I'm done with you. There's yeah. your dad. No, <laughs> she really wasn't. And I would watch her like everyone sacked out and she would like, look around, like everyone asleep. And she would get up quietly and leave. Yeah, <laughs> She'd leave the whole pack and just leave them snoozing there. Like she was just such a leader. That yeah. you just saw that, and it was to watch her was just like not that you know uh, to watch uh, you know the '06 female lead her pack across Lamar was with her head in the air is is magical. But to watch this canyon all white alpha female just you know lead that whole pack and 712 is a big wolf. Yeah, and you know he he kind of worshipped her right and followed her lead and and it, it was just wonderful. And I had a couple of those experiences with her again were like <clears throat> a lot fucking eyes with her mm-hmm. where it was just, um, you're just frozen, you know, it's just, and it's not, I've been around dogs my whole life. And so I watched their body language mm-hmm. and I was never, ever worried about them. And I never pushed it. I never tried to get, you know, as soon as I'd see them, I'm like, stop, that's it. You're good. I don't push it. Yeah. Um, stay back, give them space. But it was just to see her that look at you that you're like, that is the essence of wild. Right. When I yes. when I take my sorry butt inside tonight and make food and feel sorry for myself and lay here, they're out here at twenty five below trying to find something to eat. Right. Like yes. it really put it in perspective that what a hard, hard life they have out there. And, you know, with the average lifespan, four to five years for a Yellowstone wolf. And yes. you, that's usually, you know, losing their life over a territorial dispute or something. I mean, it's a difficult life life so when you think yours is tough and you have something else out there that you can use as a backdrop to go man they got pretty pretty tough too yeah they really do yeah
0: and I think that that's um it's and yet there's I think we could learn so much from how they I mean literally looking at her when I think back of her mom and how you know hands off hands on her mom could be um the Hayden Valley Alpha Female she was very much, she learned a lot from her mom before her death at nine years old from, you know, the the introspective, the intrapack uh, uh, rivalry with the Mollies, which when I tell that story, everybody, it's so funny when I'm usually talking um, in Yellowstone and, <laughs> and I start talking. I realize I sound like I'm telling a soap opera story because that's exactly what it sounds like when we start talking about how. You know the well. You know the 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 Hayden Valley pair were killed. It was a horrible scenario. The Mollies came in, killed them both, so on and so forth. But you know we have a Molly which was seven twelve, and the daughter, um, the Canyon female, got together, and it's you know they had pups. We're pretty sure that, they, and it's just this hilarious story. And you get people that have never been to Yellowstone, and they start <laughs> hearing these stories, and they're like. There's always somebody that says, this sounds like days of our lives. It's such a you know it, it's such a a, a, a a hilarious soap opera and I'm like, it really is, but we can learn so much when we're watching them if we watch how they raise their their young and it's a family affair. And it is, I think we're we're afraid of what we see so much with wolves because they are all about family. They are all about you know, survival, they're all about, all the things I think that we, we try to prize ourselves to be, in, in and I think we fail miserably half the time as humans, but, um, you know, that's again, romanticizing the wolf, I guess, a little bit, but the canyon had great lineage, she learned really well from her parents, and in my opinion, she looked and acted remarkably like the both of them, her dad was funny, though, but very stoic and very much the leader always 712 was playful and funny and all those things so he was more of the 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 kind loving doting father where she was more of that majestic queen-like mother you know that that had to lead a, a, a pack but loved them to death and unfortunately she took her um at 12 but still a horrendous a horrendous um death not the way
1: it should go out but that's yeah you know the, the one of the big things for me that yes you know that <clears throat> when i was spending time with the canyons in 2012 2013 um my life was out of control and i didn't see it then but what i i think what drew me to the wolves was the order in the pack mm. right because my life had no order it was just a looping hell of just wake up, feel bad, go to bed, feel bad to see some order in there. Like people eat at certain times. And if you step out of line, you're going to be corrected quickly. Yeah. Right. So the lessons, the lessons were fast and harsh and no, but what I loved about it is like, you know, a pup, you know, a subordinate would come in and try to feed and you know, one of the adults would bite their muzzle, but it didn't, it's not like I Hate you and now we can't be friends <laughs> right. you know we're just like we're gonna settle this really really quickly and then all of a sudden like 10 seconds later five seconds later it's over right yeah. they don't like hold grudges i'm like that's awesome like they establish stuff real quick like no actually i'm in charge right now you go over there and they he goes oh okay cool i'm down with that right we just need to do-. And i'm like wow humans could do that right that order in the pack where everybody you know it, you know, kind of knows their role and when to shut up and just you know, assume the position. and I, I don't know, there was a lot of order in that, and I really like to see them work together, right and that those loving times after you know the full bellies when that you know the pups do want to play and and just to see all that 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 like there is a family dynamic there that was really interesting to watch.
0: it's so true. and the order is essential and we need that in our lives. It's structure and order and I think I think that's where I'm trying to uh, I, I guess that's my, um, I hate the word because it's impossible for me to say, but the, the anthropomorphizing, see, can't say it right, but humanizing, you know, yeah. wild animals. We do, th- we tend to do that a lot, but I think we do that so we can understand it a little bit better. But you're right. That order is essential and there isn't a grudge. It's literally saying, I'm the adult, I'm the alpha, or I'm, I'm the adult in general. You're not. It's up to me to make sure you're okay. I got to feed first. So get that figured out, you know, I'm going to take this, you can have this, this is your job, even as adults, where you've got a beta who's in charge of taking care of the kids, they're the clown, they're the fun one, they're the one that's going to teach them to, to play, to fight, to, to, to survive, to hunt. I mean, there's so many, everybody has a space and a place in the pack. And I think that's really important in our lives, is to know that everyone has a place. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has it, you know? Absolutely.
1: And they change, right? The the wolf that today is the subordinate that comes in with his head down and, you know, his tail tucked underneath him trying to get a scrap. Tomorrow, next year, the following year, he'll be the one saying, "Ah, ah, back up, I eat first, right? So there's there's progression. So it's not, you're not pigeonholed into some position, right? And you see wolves that are like, oh, actually, you're still going to kick me down and I'm never going to get, any rank and file in this pack then I'll go start my own. Right. Forget you guys. Right? right? So they're just going to start their own then, right? You, and I love that. Like, oh, really? There, there doesn't seem to be a place for me here? Cool. I'm going to go over here and start something new and, and I really I needed that. You know, and and we do anthropomorphize, you know, a lot. But I think one thing that we do Yes, We, we also run the risk of being anthropocentric, where we think that we are the only ones who have feelings and thoughts and tender moments and caring and are scared and terrified. And I've seen All of those emotions in animals—I've seen every one of them: joy, bliss, happiness, relax. I've seen them terrified. You know, so we—we It's—it's. We got to be careful not to. I see so many people who say they're just a stupid animal. You know, that just does. You know, they just run on pure instinct. And I'm like, I've spent thousands of hours around them, and I can tell you that is not the truth. They have feelings and thoughts and emotions.
0: I have. There's a story, and I'll try to make it brief, but it goes along that um, out in the ponds, um, area where it seems like every year in the ponds, um, you know, bison just drop in and die. It happens every year, every spring, you know, it's a feast for bears and wolves and coyotes and birds and so on and so forth. But I was, uh, sitting there, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was kicking back over by, uh, it's, um, the plateau, Blacktail Plateau Ponds over there. And right at the top, and a bison had died, <coughs> excuse me, and was eaten, and what was left was pretty much the hide was pretty much what was left. And usually there's a whole lot of bison that come down into that valley area, and I was just sitting there, and I kind of looked up to the left, and here comes a big old herd, lots of bison coming down, the road, down the valley, and they were heading towards the ponds. And I sat there, and I kind of watched, and a bunch of them stopped out in the field, and then a line, I'm going to call it a procession, of probably 15, 20 bison lined up, and they came along, and a couple, two or three, would circle and stand over this carcass, this hide. And they were sniffing it and licking it and just standing there with their heads down towards it. Those two or three would move on, and two or three more would come up and surround it Nose it, smell it, lick it, and just stand there for a couple seconds and then move on. This went on for about 20 minutes. And myself and a few other people that were standing there, I mean, literally we were crying because it was that moment where you went, this is sorrow. (laughs) This is the letting go. This is their way of mourning, someone they knew this was part of their herd and this one's gone and we watched this morning process for about 20 minutes and it it was something that i always felt and that i th- know i'd seen before but not in this manner where we actually watched this this scenario and the next thing you know you know 20 minutes later they all kind of gathered up and the herd took off and went back up into the hills again they didn't stick around. It wasn't as if they were just going to come down and then continue to ah. feed in the field. They took off. <coughs> that to me it solidified my belief and my what I feel is knowledge of of how animals we're, we're an animal as well, and I think we have to understand that. But there is those they have all those emotions we do. And to watch them and you film them, you you you've got it on on, you know, film some of the most amazing um, times, the, the most amazing emotion. Watching watching the wolves, you know, the photos that you've got where the wolves are jumping up and chasing the ravens and having fun. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, those are great yeah. shots of, of what these animals are. And I think that um, learning from that, you kind of search for that wild within. Did you find it? At those times, is that where do you think you, you found your wild?
1: You know, I do. And I just didn't know it then at the time, you know, but it was, it was watching, um, that Canyon Alpha female and her pack was the first time that I was able to think about Marley and not be devastated you know, I was watching these wolves up on a hill, <clears throat> just do wild wolf stuff. And Marley popped into my head, which was usually, you know, right behind. I mean, it would cause me to wince because I knew the pain was coming. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first times where I'm like, huh, there's no pain behind that. I just, I, God, I wish she was here and could see this, right. It would be, and I realized she was, you know, she is there with me seeing that, but I, I didn't, it wasn't connecting then it was, it was just these tiny, tiny little breadcrumbs, right? There was like this, this trail, this hidden, these breadcrumbs. I was just picking up little pieces. I didn't know where they went or what it meant, but I knew I, it felt better than anything else. All the treatment and doctors and therapists and psychotherapists and blah, 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 the counseling. And I felt best out there thinking about my daughter with some tears rolling down my face with the wolves on the hill, you know? So I, it was that started to change some things inside of me, but it was, um, it's like breaking down the boulder. You know, it's just one hammer swing at a time really was, was what was happening. And I, d- I didn't know it. I knew I felt better like that, but I didn't know why. And I didn't know how, and I didn't know if I could, is it attainable all the time? Is it just a fluke? Am I, am I going crazy? Am I literally going crazy now? Am I? to be out here in a loincloth trying to, you know, (laughs) lay down with the wolves? Like what, what is happening to Uh me? So (laughs) I knew something, something was happening. I just didn't, didn't know what it was, but I did know that I felt better out there. I just couldn't put my finger on it.
0: But you still had to go home at night and you still had to feel. And so it was during those moments that you felt better, but still fighting, fighting the grief and the, and, or maybe just relinquishing to it through that time frame. But still getting a little better maybe, you think? Feeling it?
1: I, you know, bits and pieces. When I when I because when I was out there with the animals, when I was out tracking, I wasn't trapped in the grief. And that was yeah. the first time in a year and a half that it wasn't. So from July 15th, 2010 to about January 10th, 2012. That whole time every day. Was A looping hell in my head. You know, my mom had been charged. I had there was a court case. I had to fly back from Yellowstone to Indiana. Uh, um, You know, it was it was ongoing. So, you know, even though we were away from Michigan, I was still flying back and talking to investigators and police officers. And attorneys and insurance agents and and all that stuff. So it was it was really it was like a civil war inside of me. There was this side that said Yellowstone is good and it's healthy and you should be spending more time outside. But then you know I'd have those days where just calls with attorneys and blah 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 and just you know again it's that one step forward and then two or ten steps back. But yes, there was moments. It was starting, but I had I didn't know what it was then, but but it was starting for sure.
0: So you couldn't just walk away from, and it's impossible to walk away from grief in general, but um, it's not like you were walking away from Michigan and the house and the memories in that aspect and those horrible things. You had to continue to go back into it. You had to continue to delve back in because it wasn't, this is such a horrible way to say this because I don't know how to say it, but um, it wasn't over. It'll never be over in your heart, but you kept having to go back and relive and redo and relive. And redo. Yeah. and so that and, really makes it hard to try to move forward, even with good moments. It's hard.
1: Yep, yeah, sure. You, you know, and when we moved to, to Yellowstone, the goal was to be healthy and to not let, like the upper management at Yellowstone Association knew what had happened. But <laughs> we didn't, I didn't want that. Right. I wanted if we wanted a fresh start, we didn't want people to feel sorry for us. Right. We just wanted to be here and like normal, whatever the hell that is. And um, you know, so then when um, they found out about you know the DUI, and then you know, I had to explain to them why I got a DUI. I'm like, I'm not. It's not me. This is what happened. And and so um, I was actually leaving um, the facility one time. There's guides in there talking, and, and I walked by and I said, Hey, hey, what's going on? And and um, I walked out to the door like, oh, I was going to ask the one guy something. I turn around and the guy goes, man, that's a real shame. You know, I'm, I'm eavesdropping. He goes, it's a real shame we can't have him as a guide. He was really good. And the other guy goes, yeah. He goes, dude, if he goes, what's his future look like? I mean, his daughter died at his mom's house. That dude is effed forever. And he's like, no wonder he's a drunk. Oh, God. And I just stood there like Unreal. Right. So then, uh, you know, I walked out and then of course, you know, we have people and it's a wonderful, wonderful caring community, but I didn't want it. It felt icky. Right. Mm -hmm. Then people come up. Hey, I heard what happened. You know, we're real sorry. And if we can do, you know, and I'm like, I just don't want icky. I just don't want empathy. I don't want sympathy. I just want to be treated like we didn't have this happen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people care and they want to express that. And, you know, when, you know, you know, like what that guide said, what's his, what are his chances? I mean, every doctor's office therapist psychotherapist that I went to when I would tell them what happened, every one of them teared up. Yeah. And I hated it. Because I it thought number one, I don't anything. want that. Yeah. And and number two, I'm like, when you know a, a psychotherapist that's been practicing for 30 years starts crying mm. 15 minutes into your first uh, um, meeting, what are my odds?
0: Well, and who's there, who, who's, what, who's what now the therapist, eyes. because now I can see you saying, hey, it's okay. Don't, you know, this yeah, person's totally. crying for you. I'm like, your... we don't
1: have to talk about that part. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. You're not, you're, like So I helping. ended
1: up like consoling cons- <laughs> cons- people. That's yeah. what would ha- They'd come up to me, you know, and I'd have people say stuff like, oh my God, I couldn't imagine what would happen if I lost my daughter. I know they mean well, but that hurts. It's right. Not, and it was just like, so. It's not what you need. Yeah. Nope so I get those moments, right? Like maybe there'd be two or three hours where I wouldn't think about it. And then someone would go, Hey, I heard what happened. Oh, okay. Now, you know, I'm heading, where's the Xanax and where, and where's the vodka. Right. We're right back to square one over and over. And it's just, it's like, I just couldn't break it, you know? And then then, I had, um, so springtime came May, 2012. Um, and I was just done. Like I was done. I just, I didn't want to live anymore, Kim. I just, oh, okay. when we were on tour, when I was being trained for YA, I kept looking at places to kill myself mm-hmm. in the park. So I looked at the Gardner high bridge many times. And when mm-hmm. we were at brink of the lower falls, you know, I'm going through my training and they're blah, blah, blah. And this happened oh. and I looked over and I'm like, all I have to do is just mm-hmm. go. Right. And so I'd made a plan that if it ever came down to it, I was going to drive my suburban to Canyon and I was going to walk at night the rest of the way down to the brink and just do it and just be done right and so I wrote in my journal as I was out hiking around and stuff around mammoth I wrote that um something to the effect that I think the best thing that could happen to me is on one of my walks one of my trips um that I would just die I would just fall off a ridge or whatever trip and fall and I would just die and that the birds and the bears would eat me you know that they could consume me and And poop me out somewhere beautiful would be amazing. That would be the best thing that can happen to me. And then about two days later, I woke up hungover, depressed, sad, shame, guilt, horror, grief, same thing, over. And I'm like, I got to get out. I've got to get out of here. I'm going to kill myself. And so I just decided to take a one-way trip. I'm like, I, I don't even care. I just jumped in my truck and I drove up to Swan Lake flats. And I'm like, I, I just, I could see the, you know, the mountains, elk horn and all that in the back. I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to start walking to that stuff. I don't have any water. I don't have any food. I didn't eat. I'm just, I feel hung over horrible. And so I just started walking out into there aimlessly, with no plan or provision. And, um, what I thought was an elk turned out to be a grizzly bear mm-hmm. that lifted its head. And, it looked right through that look, you say, with mm-hmm. the wolves when you make that connection. Mm-hmm. This bear was probably 80, 90 yards away. I mean, he's still pretty good. But it, you know that sea of sage out there on Swan Lake, and it's yeah. these swales and dips. And he just lifted his head and turned and looked at, at me. And I just remember, like, I had to go to the bathroom so bad. My pants were so wet. I was holding them up, you know, by like holding them up with one hand and walking. And I just stopped. And this bear looked at me, and all I could think of is... I don't want to be pooped out somewhere beautiful anymore. <laughs> I really, really don't want to be pooped out beautiful. I really don't. I've changed my mind on that. I've really just, just in the moment here, really rethought that one, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna backpedal up. Like he just stared at me, and then he just dropped his head, yeah. and just kept moving through this swale in the direction, you know, like, like the meeting was no big deal, but that was a huge pivotal moment for me because I was terrified. I was all the way out and, you know, on Swan Lake, if there's one bear, could there be two or four or something dead out here already? Right. So I, but when I got back to my truck, I just, I mean, I bawled, I stood there and bawled and bawled and just said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I, I don't want to die. You know, and I didn't know how I was going to live, but I knew that day I did not want to die. It was so romantic, you know, drinking Corona's and sitting there like hemming away the night before the best thing that could happen Just be pooped (laughs) up somewhere beautiful. But in the moment, like, no, that was really romantic last night when I was drunk and warm. But now I'm cold and hungover. And that sounds like a horrible idea. And the
0: bear just kind of looked up like, so am I part of the story or am I just part of the change? You know, and it's like, you're part of the change. I'm going to go. And he went, okay, I'm going to go, too. It was I I kid you. I, I really, truly believe that that was where are we going to go with this brad are we gonna am i gonna keep coming this way or what are you gonna do you know that's the look and yeah that's I, the I, message from the bear kind of a thing you know that's
1: brutal. it was in that moment right like if i would have acted inappropriately there i would have probably have been charged yeah right but i just i didn't know how to act appropriate you know i was a roadside grizzly expert you no know? yeah ladies and gentlemen if you look out here a yeah. mile and a half there's a grizzly bear <laughs> exactly. but you know this was way different than than yeah. you know talking to unsuspecting tourists yep. along the side of the road. This was just me and one grizzly out there. And I really believe that that bear looked at me. And like you just said, it was like, what are we going to do, Brad? Because we can, if if the first part is what you want, we can do that right now. Yeah. We can end this all right now. But I think you're going to be better off to just stand there and wet yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to keep moving, right? And it was so non-confrontational. You know, he huffed a little bit, kind of a, just right? You like, know. here's just startled, like, hey, I'm a bear and I'm over here. And but it was non confrontational, non aggressive, uh, but it stirred something in me. That look when the bear drops its head, mm-hmm. turns sideways, and looks right through you mm-hmm. it is one of the most, you know. And I've been in Africa filming, and it is one of the most like, wow, this is real. This got real very fast, very fast. No more delusions or suicidal fantasies or mentally dawdling right it taught me that in grizzly country you need to have your head on a swivel and be in the moment and that's the best place for someone to heal
0: hyper aware and that makes you hyper aware of you not just your surroundings but you find it in yourself and I to me that is the that's the love of the wild and the wild within when you find that and I think that um when you listen and you listen, there's twice there's, so I'm, I'm seeing two interactions and encounters that were absolutely pivotal in your, your, your journey. And it's the only word I can use is your journey to, you know, through. Mm -hmm. It's amazing that both were from very wild, very apex predators that, you know, one's like, Hey, I'm going this way. Are you going to stay in there? You know, Come check us out. There's more to life than this. The other one looks at you and says, "You want to go one direction? I can help you with that. That was your thought. That was your that was your your moment. And then, or you can go on and find that life life is worth living. Your choice. Ah, you're gonna find that one. So, very pivotal moments in your life. And I, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's it's heartwarming to know that that's. That's how and where you found those things. Even though you peed yourself and you had to get back to your truck through all of the sage <laughs> in Swan <laughs> Flats, by the way, which is tall, super, super, lots of sage. Um, but w- what a great encounter, though. What a great lesson to move forward with. So then what would you do? I mean, you, you move forward. You realize No, I wanna live. I gotta find out how to live. And maybe that's not even a question, but just kinda like, God, I'll get through the next day again, but I don't wanna I don't wanna end up in, you know, bear feces. That's not my idea of a good time.
1: Yeah. For sure, you know, and it's like when you're broke, when you're absolutely broke, you've got no money, right? You see a ten dollar bill blowing down the street, you're chasing it, right? And it was like I was so emotionally and spiritually broke that just those little, you know, even just finding a dime, you know, it was just such a nugget. And that's really the gift of the grizzly and the gift of the wild is that, um, we put everything else behind us, you know, and get back to where we belong. This, these places we live, these houses and boxes and, you know, boxes inside of boxes inside of boxes that, you know, this stuff's all new. When, how long, We've been doing this right a hundred and some years here in this country. Yeah. You know, we've most of our genetics is hardwired to have been living in community with these animals, right? And I believe that animals and humans used to be able to communicate on some level. And it's us that lost that ability. Cause I've had grizzly bears and elephants are the other ones that have looked at me that are like, I swear they're trying to say something to me. And they finally just look at you like forget it. Like you, you've lost it, right?
0: You're, you're, you're totally incapable of remembering, you know, it's there in the kernel of your brain. It's in the, it's there, but I think we got to tap in. And I think that if more people found that ability to tap in and lose themselves in the wild, um, to me, those were the greatest moments and always will be, is that, that time in, in where there's nothing but you and the surroundings and every sound, every smell, every, everything is, is hyper aware. You know, your hair's up and you're like, I can hear everything. I can smell everything. I can see everything. I, to me, it's, it's the most amazing place and it's nothing <laughs> compared to where we were once, you know? Um,
1: nope. But that was the norm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where you had to be. It was, it was literally survival. And I think that that's where, um, we've lost out on so much. I think the word intelligence, you know, we've become more intelligent. We've become more, um, you know, the industrial revolution pops up and, and look what we've done. And it's like, I think we've actually, we've lessened who we are and we've created ways to go around thinking and feeling and being. And I don't think that's for the better. I think um, I think getting lost in the wild and finding our wild within is a really important thing. It's not a tool. It's it's who we should always be. And I think it makes us more compassionate. I think it makes us um, see people differently, the way they should be seen. Everyone has a purpose, and I think that that's where wild comes in.
1: Yeah, it really does. Um, you know, that I think the, all the industrial revolution did was create a bunch of hairless apes with car keys.
0: Yeah. Car keys and
1: cell phones
0: and devices that keep us from
1: cell phones. And
0: yeah, it's awful. Uh, Really
1: uh, connecting. You know, I've got a good, a friend who's a a really good photographer and he spends a ton of time out in the wild by himself. He, he photographs, a lot of owls mm. and so he's out there for days and days and days and days by himself um you know who he is but i don't know if i should say his name but he spends a lot of time out there by himself but he he recently said that when he's been out in the wild for day, days and days by himself when he comes back into civilization he can tell when people are lying to him
0: <laughs> isn't, that <laughs> isn't that crazy who, he's- i think it lets you see um people for for what they are More than anything else, I mean, truly, it's true. I think that's a really good, (laughs) it's sad, but you can see through, to put it bluntly, bullshit. You know, it's like, yeah, no, not going there. And I think you find yourself um, kind of shying away from it in that aspect. It's like, yeah, life is really a precious gift and I want to live it. I don't need any of this other stuff. You know, I don't need this stuff. And I think it's yep. really important. I think White noise. White noise. Ugh. Yeah. 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 And and it, it, it gets really, really cumbersome. I think it creates it creates a depression in and of its own. I think our, our whole world is very depressed because we've we've fallen into that um, what, what people say is what's best, you know, that progressiveness that's so progressive that we've lost who we are and we just fall in line and you become these drones that just kind of get through life. And, and ah, man, if this is a one shot deal, I don't want to just get through it. I want to live it. You know, I think that's the hard part is finding a way to do just that, you know, live it. But so you continued. We're going to move on with you because, uh, like I said, I had mm-hmm. one idea, one idea when I wanted to um, do a podcast with you. And I went, oh, <laughs> hell no. This, this is a 10-part series. This guy's complex, and I <laughs> love it. I love it. But yeah. you, you moved on, and you continued to, you know, pave your way in the park. You continued to pave your way with your photography. And you started meeting people. Um, you know, as time went on, you ended up meeting Casey Anderson, and you guys got together and you created Vision Hawk. What was the purpose of, of Vision Hawk in and of itself and and how did that how did you fit in with that and and its goal?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. When we um when we first moved here, um, my wife was in charge of development and she's trying to get a younger crowd, right. And engaged in Yellowstone. And I said, Hey, I was watching this guy's show back in Michigan, Casey Anderson. He's got a grizzly bear that he drinks beer in a hot tub with. Yes. And I think he lives right up here in the Valley. And I know a lot of young people follow him. And she's like, well, can you broker a meeting? Cause I don't know anything about him. I said, sure. I've watched all his shows. So we set up this meeting at Chico and, and it's the first time I met Casey. And so Stacy's, you know, Pitching YA stuff to him, and and him and I are secretly showing each other like bear pictures, wolf pictures on our phone. And (laughs) at one point, Stacy goes to the bath bathroom, and she comes back and she's like, "Now, if we can just, and we're like another round, please." And we literally just took over the meeting, and she just kept bringing us beers while we showed each other and like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah." Well, then I saw this. (laughs) Oh yeah, (laughs) the one upper. We just became (laughs) the one upping. Yes, over IPAs at Chico. That never happens. No, never. um, (laughs) <laughs> so we got to be really fast friends and we just i learned so much from casey right and so and um so that we met 2012 hung out a bunch 2012 2013 2014 tracking finding grizzly bears lions you name it and um november of 2014 casey uh, asked me to come up um, he wanted to start a production company. So this was this was his, Vision Hawk was his his vision and his production company of, of being able to do high-end blue-chip natural history, you know, wildlife documentaries where we don't do the cliche stuff that's out there every time. But, you know, blue-chip meaning that the footage is so beautiful that it drives the story that we don't need a narrator to tell everybody everything that's happening, right? Just set the scene and let the, let the cinematography tell these natural stories like you're saying with the days of our lives right Mm -hmm. it is wildlife drama is the best I loathe human drama Mm -hmm. I love wildlife drama so you know to to go out there and and find that so case is like hey man you know he's like dude you got here you knew nothing about this place he's like i've watched you rise through the ranks i've watched your photography explode and get more popular and you know you're getting in publications and you know and i we just had a heart to heart we're really good friends and you know i told him what had happened how i didn't know why or how or what but it was helping you know my depression and and everything to to these moments so he said i'd like you to be my director of photography for this new production company so it was literally Casey, you know, me helping Casey start his business in his garage is where we started it, you know. Awesome. Um, so that's how we, we got started in November of 2014.
0: So what'd you get out of that? How did that, I mean, I, you know, I had seen um, when it all popped up and some of the stuff that went out, um, obviously through social media was, was always a great medium for, for getting things out there. Um, and it was really some cool stuff. So tell me, tell me a little bit of, you know, how that venture worked for you and in, in that time timeframe that, that it did.
1: Yeah, so one of the first things uh, that Casey and I had done was we bought a Sony camera that shoots super low light. So we decided to go um, into Yellowstone at night and just go see, take some practice pictures and just see if we'd find any mountain lion tracks or something. So we drove all the way to Yellowstone, to Baronet Peak, almost to Silvergate, and just, just playing around with this camera. And then Casey dropped me off at my home in Gardner. And then he went home to his place in an immigrant. And I'm just falling asleep and I get a text from Casey. And we like to tease each other a lot. So I figured it was something like that. And I look and it's mountain lion tracks across his bridge. Oh my God. He's like, be here, 4 a.m. Got it. Right. And that's what it, we found one set of mountain lion tracks across his bridge, which led to following this female mountain lion that we named Mama Mo. Mm-hmm. Um, We followed her for four years through two litters of kittens um, for a Smithsonian film called uh, The Mount Lion and Me. And so, yeah, we spent four winters. um, And I mean, we were partying like Vikings, staying up late, up first thing in the morning. I mean, we would go close Chico. And then go grab a couple hours of sleep, put on our boots and gaiters and packs and headlamps, and go out and look for mountain lion tracks at minus twenty. You know, the next <laughs> we had the like Cougar Project calling us, going, "The Yellowstone Cougar Project, going, how in the hell are you guys seeing these cats?
0: Large amounts I'm like, of how alcohol. Do you think? <laughs> get we get up, up early.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we're just we're we're just we're small gods." this point right yeah. like we've just felt so invincible right like wow. everybody else is to like i'm gonna have some quinoa and a chicken breast we're like pizza double meat you know three pitchers that'll get us started right like we would get up we just fought so hard we wanted it so bad to get this is before all the mountain lion stuff you know got so popular these yeah. past few years but we never used telemetry we never used dogs we never used any of that stuff it was get out with heavy packs and get in the wild and start working game trails and start looking places where we knew where she was. And we pushed ourselves so hard. I was eating 2,000 grams of ibuprofen a day. And a lot of days it wouldn't even touch it. Side-hilling with heavy packs, your oh, knees were yeah. just painful. shot. And, you know, we would go, 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 you know, hours and hours and hours. Oh, dude, this is what am I doing? And you lift your binos and you'd see a mountain lion with a couple kittens run over the hill. Oh God. Like, <gasps> That's this is what we're doing. <laughs> Right And it just oh, drove us. And what it really did is it taught me that when I thought this is all Brad's got, Brad's got more, yeah, right? Because Casey yeah. was one of those guys where he would tell me, "I mean, we'd be way in the middle of nowhere, and I he's an insane climber, like the guy's just lungs and legs, and he would look back and I'm struggling. he'd go, "This is not a good place to die. he <laughs> <Well>, there's <laughs> incentive. just keep marching. <laughs> And I was like, you know, he'd tell me like he'd be walking around this knife edge and he's like, if you fall from here, you are definitely dead. And I'm like, "Okay, I just got, you know, so it taught me to push past boundaries, my self-imposed boundaries, physically, mentally, spiritually, everything. Right. Like, go, go, go. You know, like, no, I know we've only had a couple hours of sleep, but there's a chance we're going to see a mountain lion today. So get geared up, get your stuff together and let's get up the mountain because they take the worst way up of every mountain, you know, and most of the time was, I didn't see, you know, we wouldn't find her or find anything. You know, it was just, you know, a lot of work and a lot of pushing and a lot of, you know, that, that, you know, just, I hate this. I give up. I don't want to do this. I don't want this. You know, I'd have people telling me, you're so lucky. I wish yeah. I, I could do what you do. And you I'm like, can. be at my house at 3am. Exactly. <laughs> you can, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I hope you don't have have, Yeah. I hope you don't have any plans for the next 17 days. Oh, and I hope you can um, go to the bathroom in a Gatorade bottle and a blind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Try being a girl and doing that. Don't even play
1: that game. (laughs) (laughs) So come on over. You think what I do is amazing. Yeah. Come on in. The water's fine, you know, but it got to those points where it was like you'd work so hard and so hard. And it seemed like it was all for naught. And this is stupid. And I'm just following Casey all over Hill and Dale because he likes to torture me and likes to see me hurt at the end of the day. And then we see something that we both just go, Oh awesome. my God. Did we just see that? Did we just like peek over and watch Mount Lion, you know, three month old mountain Lion kittens? I mean, I watched Mount Lions for 12 hours at a time, yeah. just sit and watch the family uh, all amazing. day. That's amazing. You know, it was, it was amazing. And it taught me to put, and it taught me that when your knees hurt and your back hurts and your everything hurts and your heart hurts and your soul hurts and everything hurts keep moving the minute you stop you're going to get stiff it's going to hurt metaphorically literally everything keep like you say move through the grief you're never going to get around it but you have to find a way to trudge through it and you know again when you're broke it don't take much right just a flicker of hope is all it to keep you moving when you don't have any
0: and when you can get to the end in some cases where you're like I'm I'm done I can't go any further you've got three-month-old kittens (laughs) mountain lion kittens that you're like oh wait and you forget you forget about all that pain and that you know getting through it because now all of a sudden it's worth it so always in remembering that even through all that hard stuff and getting you know going through all that there's still something it's worth seeing at the end sometimes. So it's that pushing through. I yeah. think that's, you know, to me, that's, that's everything. That's everything. Um,
1: that's what, point. you know, we learned so much about mountain lions in those four years, but what I really learned was something about myself. We both did Casey and I both did, you know, now he's a dad with little girls and, and a beautiful wife and beautiful family. And, you know, I think we both kind of hit that spot, you know, there for a few years where we both knew we were getting older. Probably couldn't do this stuff forever, and so if we're gonna have one last hurrah, let's try to drink every beer in the valley and go see every mountain wine in the valley before back and and knees and soles just snap in two. And that's exactly what we did, right? We would we would walk into places with gators covered in mud, dirt, faces bleeding from crawling through shit, and you know it'd be like we, you know, like the. um, That Cheshire grin, we just sit there and people are like, What'd you do today? And we're like, What did we do today? (laughs) What did we do today? Something better than you
0: did. You want to hear the end result of all of it? You
1: know? Yeah. Do you want to see the pictures or not? Right. Because it was an amazing day. And we had, and not all of them were like that. Like I said, the vast majority were just a lot of work. But when those little moments happen and you go, This is what it was all for. This is what it's all for. Uh,
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. When did it, so you did that for four years with Vision Hawk.
1: Yeah. Started with Casey in November of 2014 and then we worked um, for 14, 15, 16, and 17 through the winters all winter long from, you know, about November to April was nonstop Mount Lions. And then, um, 2016, excuse me, I went to Africa with Casey to film for a, that geo project. So we spent six weeks in the bush, um, filming out there in, in 2016, which oh. was another, just. What was
0: the project like come there? True. What, what, uh, what was it? Was the project that took you to Africa with Casey?
1: Yeah. So it was, um, it just aired last year, I think it's called Okavango river of dreams. It was a three part series about, um, the Okavango, uh, okavango delta and um we were originally going to be shooting primarily uh wild dogs there but you know when you get to africa it's like oh this is what they're talking about with noah's ark Uh. (laughs) like there's two of everything like this is the way the planet used to be you know you go to yellowstone and you're like man this place is wild and then you know, there's literally like I stepped outside of the truck to use the, the outdoor bathroom there at one point and looked over in the grass and there's a, you know, a 600 pound male lion who's like one more step away oh from that truck God. and you're mine. And it's like, wow, you are on the menu there. Like, yeah. no joke. Animals look at you like I'm going to eat you. Yeah. I'm going to eat you. There no <laughs> was like, or wow, butts. this was no. Joke. Wow. No. And there's no, no. You know, no uh, interpretive ranger is going to come say, well, what we have here is a, you know, (laughs) we're out there in the middle. So when we went to go shoot uh, to film the first time, the native Setswana guys, one of them said, oh, do you guys have a gun? And I said, no, 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 we don't. We don't have guns. No, we don't do that. And and he goes, you might want to consider it. And I said, why? He goes, because, you know, poaching at that time in 2016, poaching in Botswana was a death sentence if you got caught poaching. And I said, "Well, oh, I'm not going to be poaching, so I'm, you know, I'm not worried about anything." He said, "No, if you guys are out there in the remote bush filming and you come around the corner and someone's cutting up an elephant harvesting the ivory, they're, gonna they're going you. to kill you. Yeah. You're going to die. If you catch poachers out there somewhere, they're going to kill you. Because if you go back and tell on them, it's they're dead, right? So it was like that's a whole new element to filming out here and we saw poachers camps when we flew aerials you could see their camps tucked oh, in there God. and they're poaching ivory and rhinos and cheetahs and leopards and you know, anything that's worth a little bit of money they can sell on the market they're, you know it was so you know that that was a big eye opener too and we spent i was there july 15th of 2016 so that was 6 years um the six-year anniversary of losing Marley, and I got to watch my favorite lion pride that day, and it was it was just magical to watch the kittens play. And I just you know those little mountain lion kittens had blue eyes like Marley, and those little um, African lions have oh. have blue eyes like hers. So when I see those little blue eyes, you know, so to, to be there you know on July fifteenth um, in Africa with Casey was very special way to remember that day.
0: Is there some healing and honor at- healing components to that moment and that trip how 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 is was that in you know in comparison i mean to me that would be that's that's a that's a bucket list trip you know and and to really feel a different kind of wild like you said it's it's a whole different different kind of thing going on over
1: there you know what what it well, it was funny because before i left i had some other filmmakers tell me africa will change your life i'm like I'm sure I, I, you know, I I could see that, but it's not till you get there and you look at like, you know, it'd almost be like coming back here and seeing 50 million buffalo on the plains and Lakota, you know, hunting them. And, you know, like that, that it's like stepping back in time, going to Africa. Right. And just like, this is like, this is the hub of civilization. I could totally see that, right. Like man, you just, it's timeless, right? Like you just, you get out there and it—and I think that the big thing it does is it widens your perception of the world, right? Because here in in Yellowstone, I I end up in this like kind of hermetically sealed environment of, you know, like people ask me politics stuff. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. If it didn't happen in Yellowstone today, I don't know what you're talking about, right? So I needed that big, like that, like that bear just kind of gave me that that quick shock. Yeah. Like when I saw that bear, I almost felt like someone like gave me a um, like hit me with the palm of their hand in the solar plexus. It just kind of, (laughs) right. And it's same thing in Africa and it just opens your eyes and your world. It's just a big, big, beautiful world out there. And for some people it's terrifying, but for me, it's very comforting to know that I am a drop in the bucket that right. I'm so small, tiny and insignificant in the realm of this big picture. And that's what I needed is just to stop, you know, when you get trapped in grief and trauma and PTSD and depression, you know, you live so much in your head and you think everything is about you, Right. you, 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 because you're trapped there. Right. And you need something big that just kind of like kicks you right in the rear end and says, Hey dude, open your eyes and look around. It's not about you. Yes. What happened to you was tragic and horrible, Um, But there's a big, beautiful world out there full of beauty and tragedy, too. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, somehow we're not – when we get trapped in that, it is just me. I'm the only one that feels this. Nobody gets it. And it's like, you know, like you said, what happened was horrendous. I think when you start realizing that you're not the only one where other people have feeling and and it's not just people, it's – it is animals, and and you see these worlds. And I mean, you went to a place where, like you said, that <laughs> that is very native and very uh, in the bush. There's no, you know, nobody's going home to their uh, to their mansion. Well, not not nobody, but the majority are living on that land and off that yeah. land and in wild. Like you said, that is going to eat you. And their huts are not always going to keep things out and there's a it's a whole world and we see it I think in my opinion if I were there I, I as I see it there's a privilege that we have um the kind of changes for me when I watch things uh you know like on the discovery or on, on um any of those channels where I, I see things I'm like wow my privilege is there and Um, as far as safety goes and so on and so forth, I'm not having to really want for much in life. Um, remember that, you know, (laughs) remember that.
1: Yeah. You know, one one of, one of the birds there that, so I use magpies and ravens here to, to listen to bird language. It helps me find a lot of the subjects that I want to photograph, which is apex predators. Um, so that's helpful for me here, but there the bird is, one of the birds is called a Franklin and those native women, it is life or death because those Franklin's will tell you where the lions. Are. So when you need to take your wash down to the river, you need to be listening to those birds, oh, right? Wow. Because they're going to tell you where those predators are and whether it's safe to go to the river or not. I mean, with the one camp that um we'd heard this story about the chef had everything ready the cook you know camp cook or whatever he went out to pick some jackalberries for the salad he didn't come back oh my god right he walked 20 feet from camp and was snagged by a lion so there it's not just like oh you know like hear people like oh look the birds are just blah 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 just chattering away no those birds are talking and communicating about what they're seeing and where everyone's at and what's going on they're like the old they're like old ladies with nothing to do gossip and gossip and gossip and like my and parents. that's what they do right and so the, <laughs> or, the say, or old man they're just yeah <laughs> we're just as bad yep. Um, yep. it's like old people with nothing to do that's what the birds do is just hey where are you i'm over here what do you see you know so but um it's so important for them you talk about people that are connected to the land and the landscape because it is a matter of life or death to go to the bathroom to go pick jackalberries to go do you know wash your stuff down by the river if you're not aware of your surroundings and if you're dawdling mentally you know thinking about this thinking about that not paying attention it's that could be your last load of laundry
0: yeah that's stuff that again we don't think about that you know and yet yep how how amazingly aware and i bet there's a um i I don't know i i envy that i that's a bucket list trek for me and i think would be truly eye-opening in that aspect for sure for sure how long were you over there
1: yeah you should try it Oh, someday. Six weeks.
0: Six. That's a long time. Yeah. That's a long time. How did it go Oh, it went
1: so fast. Did
0: it? Well, yeah. I bet it was just too amazing. I mean, I have friends that have gone to Africa, uh, a friend, um, and she said it was truly um, a lifetime experience and one that shaped where she knew she wanted her future to go. And it was three weeks, I think, she was there, came back, and truly... Her path was set in, in, you know, she just knew it it helped bring her clarity, I guess. Um, I think what we all look for when we find, you know, I found it in the wild where I'm like, ah, I I, I know where I, it kind of helps set you on the path sometimes. And I've heard that Africa has that ability to do that for
1: sure. Yeah, I cried when I left.
0: Uh, you want to go back
1: and it wasn't just because that I, I wasn't just crying because of the 26 hour plane ride home oh my God. with 38 pelican cases or whatever we had yeah uh, and the carnet and customs and yeah traveling like that with all that stuff is a nightmare through customs and carnets but i would love to go back at some point and i still um the people that we filmed for um, it's Derek and Beverly Jobert, who are some of the most wonderful people I've ever met. They're just beautiful, sweet people um, filmed on their private concessions. And so I'd like to go back at, at some point, go back to those those same places and be able to, you know, not have to work because people are like, oh, get to go to all these great places. I'm like, yeah, but I'm working, yeah. right? Like, yeah, well, if you work at McDonald's, yeah, if you get to go to McDonald's in Paris, you're not really seeing Paris. You're working at McDonald's in Paris. Right,
0: right. <laughs> you know, right. so,
1: I mean, I do get to see some amazing stuff, but it's not like, you know, I mean, it's high pressure wildlife filming because there's a lot of money on the line and you have to get these things right. And so it's, you know, it was funny that one of the first mornings uh, after we've been there a few days, um, Beverly Joubert and, and Derek were talking to us and they said, hey, we're really impressed with your work ethic like you guys are up at like five in the morning and and gone right we're like yeah that's what we do we like montana boys (laughs) they work hard we go Has there been a problem they go oh yeah other film crews we've had to run at like seven in the morning and wake them up out of their tents oh my god like hey you guys gonna film today we're like love this this isn't my um you know just my vocation this is my avocation This is what I love. Let's know. I mean, we, I'd lay there in bed at night and listen to the elephants and like, how soon can I get up? How soon can I get up? Oh God, Right. Like it was just, it was every day was just, you know, cheetahs and leopards and, you know, Cape Buffalo and crocodile. We had to drive trucks. We had no doors on it, you know, a film truck, just no, you know, a land cruiser. So we'd have to drive across these rivers that could have hippos laying in the bottom of them and definitely have crocs around like you know when you're driving through and the water's coming in the vehicle and you look over almost eye level and there's a crocodile oh god you're like oh okay <laughs> i look around like is anybody else nope nobody else seems nervous i guess i'm good
0: <laughs> well, fa- i think everybody was feeling, doing that but everybody exactly everybody was doing the same <laughs> yeah,
1: thing exactly <laughs> they're just frozen well brad doesn't seem worried i guess we're good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: oh god isn't it funny if you really knew what everybody else was thinking at the time it would be mass chaos everybody would be like flipping out totally flying it you know oh god that's hilarious i've been in yeah that's funny stuff god dang when you came so you were there for six months or six weeks life-changing experience amazing you've met people you've seen things that many of us haven't which is awesome I'd like to actually talk to talk to you about that at some point. I think we should do something seriously just about Africa on that. But you come back, and the ending of Vision Hawk is kind of there. It's going to go do its own thing. Or what made you just kind of say, okay, it's time to move on now?
1: Yeah, we had – so <clears throat> 2016, I came back from Africa, and then I started – Right away, went up and started filming a couple of uh, orphan grizzly bear cubs that i had been filming for Casey um, for a couple years, and that was 2016. And then 2017, we just went, yeah, 2016, 2017, is when we really, really dialed things up for this Mount Lion show because we had a a deadline and and it had to be all turned in by April ish of 2017. So um, I think those first three or four months in April. Or excuse me, the first three or four months in 2017, I think we were working 90 hours a week, oh trying to get God. this film wrapped up for months, like yeah. one day off a month, and it was 18 hour days. After, I mean, we have to get this footage and all the bits and pieces that go into a film, the pickups and the cutaways and the time lapses and the, you know, all that. So <clears throat> we went crazy. So by June of 2017, um, I think we all just needed a break yeah. and. Um, vision Hawk was going to go in a different direction and do a few things. And I just felt like, you know, maybe it was, it's my time to either move up that company or move on from that company. And, and, um, so we just decided that, you know, they wanted some new, some new people and I was ready to do some new things. I, worked my butt off to gain, um, you know, some notoriety as a Yellowstone photographer. And I gave up all of that when I went to film for Vision Hawk, which was okay. But for four years, I was never in, in Yellowstone. No, not much. Right. Right. I was all a lot of other places filming at home. And I wanted to be back here in Yellowstone and there was places in my backyard. I knew Casey's backyard better than my own. Because I'd spent so much time up around his, you know, out in Paradise Valley. So I wanted to get to know my place. And I wanted to start working on getting my photography back to where um, I was before and, and build. Uh, and I love teaching and I love helping connect people. So um, and then my, um, my wife and I had built a cafe and lodge in gardener called Wonderland in that opened in 2018, January of 2018. So not knowing what that was going to be like, yeah. um, I just wanted to be free to, to kind of help out there just because it's such a commitment with, um, you know, full-time with Casey. And, and so 2017, I took a filming gig for Arte, which is um, like French, German, PBS. And so I filmed for nine months actually in the park um, on a project that uh, came out called Return of the Wolves. Yeah. So um, again, I spent, all winter with the wolves and tracking mountain lions actually got to some um, for their show. So these French, German PBS people are just like, Mount lion, We can do a whole show. We'll send people. I'm like, I'm not taking anyone anywhere (laughs) close to where I found this. No, thank you. Right. I've seen what happens when these big production companies come in and they have big budgets and they have big responsibilities. And a lot of times they lay waste yeah. the areas they leave, yeah. right. They don't give a crap about the animals after they get their shot. Right. You know, there's been some bad things that have happened. Wolves have been taken out in Tom minor basin because they were, you know, called out when they, they were asked not to re- reveal locations, yep. yeah. but you know, they don't realize that they come here and they go, oh, this is here and this is there. And then they make their money, make their film, make their notoriety and take off. And the animals suffer and yeah. the e- ecosystem suffers um, after they've left. So, um vision hawk's not like that casey's super ethical and very respectful and one of the best all-around people i've ever been around, one of the world's best trackers by far that guy could track a snake across a rock um he's just he's incredible so not so much them but you know when we have to take contracts from some of the bigger big players and you know i just i didn't want that pressure anymore i want to go out and enjoy it and feel and i want to be able to turn the camera off and just experience right and it's like so when i, I did all the film I went back to doing my own photography. The first time I got out, like there's a bear. I'm like, oh, oh it's a bear. I got to get my truck. I get, oh my God, I got to get this <laughs> shot. I gotta, oh, I'm going to get fired if I don't get this shot. And I go, Brad, you're looking for yourself, buddy. Breathe. It's okay. Right? I'm like, I can calm down slowly. I'm going to sip my coffee. That bear ain't going nowhere, dude. Just calm down slow. It was so nice to just get back to that. And so now I'm my boss again. And I decide when to hit that shutter and when not to. And, and it's nice to have that um, that, freedom, you know, it's, uh, what my one friend said, um, something about, you know, all of us that are self employed, though, you know, one person said, God, I, I, I wish I could do that. And they're like, yeah, the, the beautiful thing about being self-employed is you totally get to choose which 20 hours a day you're going to work.
0: Yeah. It's great. <laughs> it's great. And whether <laughs> yeah, so or not you'll freedom. get paid yeah. or not, you got plenty of freedom. Yeah. I betcha. But is self, that where the horses-
1: Self-unemployed goes... <laughs> yeah. It goes to self-unemployed very quickly. Yeah,
0: it it can be whatever so you choose. It it's to been be.
1: nice, yes, to have that freedom to get back out there again and to really hone <clears throat> my photography skills again because I had so much filming. Yeah, that you know, I actually had to go back through and like read my camera's manual and like how do I just shoot stills again and go back to my photojournalism training. And I think that's what's helped me, given me an advantage in my wildlife. Um, photography, so the one that Wapiti oh, um God. pack that family affair where I've got what, 14 of them all looking, yes, the same. There was a bunch of us out there when that happened, yeah. And a wolf howled behind, they were all looking the, the other direction, and a wolf howled behind us. And so, when that wolf, howled, I look at all these other photographers and they're looking back at behind them at the wolves, and I'm on the shutter like it's Wimbledon, right? <laughs> I'm like. Man, you just in photojournalism, you know, they just hammer it into your head to anticipate action, anticipate things. By the time it happens, if you if you're not grabbing the image, it's over. And you know, it's bad enough in a parade, you know, in a city, you know, where the firemen are throwing candy to miss the shot. But you missed a shot where you finally got 14 wolves looking right at you. Oh you know, it's God. like those things really help me to like stay focused stay in the moment you like feel things right like I feel attention but like something's going to happen something's building I've got to get focused I've got to get metered I've got to be ready because you get one shot and that's it yeah Yeah. and you miss it and it's gone forever and it is a sickening feeling as a photographer to miss those moments
0: it's truly one of the best shots I've ever seen and Ugh, I mean, I, I'm stuttering because I know exactly where it's going to go in my house. And <laughs> <laughs> Trish just looked at me, my partner, she looked at me and she said, oh, my God, that. And I said, yeah, oh, my God, that. That's the photo. Because I have, you know, I have wonderful friends that are, you know, they'll see me say something to, you know, one of my photographer friends. And, oh, my God, what a great shot. Or, you know, Because everyone knows how much I love the uh, the Wapitis, the Canyons, the Haydens, I mean that was the lineage. That's, you know, the middle of of the yeah. park in Hayden Valley. That was my love. That was my passion. That was that was the soul of who I was for years. And so to me it, it it's so important to me to, to to know these animals. And so there's been some really great shots um, out there, and I've had people go, I'll get that for you. I'll get that for you, and I'm like, no, y'all. Th- this y'all want to get something for me. This is the shot because it is <laughs> epic to have to have this. Um, the you know this many wolves literally looking in the same direction and her. You know she's standing out front and it's like oh god. Yeah. So yes, we'll we'll be talking about that personally in some point. But <laughs> so you've got yep. you.
1: It was very, it was cool. a moment for sure. You know, I showed yeah. Bob Landis, good friend and, and you know, an, insanely, friend. incredibly gifted filmmaker. And yes. <clears throat> so I, I was actually filmed, I was photographing Bob's film. Um, so he's, he, I'm sure we'll be seeing that oh, same, yeah. that image I have, that footage will be somewhere because Bob I was standing next to Bob. And, and then um, mm-hmm. when I showed him the photo, I said, can you believe it? you got all, I got all the animals looking at me and Bob goes, <gasps> and all of their eyes. Eyes are open. I go. Oh my gosh, they are. When does that? You can't even get twelve people that are planning to take a together and and have them have all of their eyes open.
0: It takes someone like Bob, who's a good friend, a good man, an amazing man, a a wonderful soul. He truly is. um, I I adore him. He's just the best of the best. But for him being that that guy, you know, I mean, he's been doing this for so dang many years. For him to go, huh? and their eyes are open. Not like me, who is such a horrendously amateur photographer, but tries really hard uh, and gets nowhere. But, uh, you know, look and go, oh, my God, Just I didn't even notice. I didn't even look to see if their eyes were open. I just knew the shot was impeccable. So that that's that's definitely a bob, you know. No, there's some good stuff, but uh, that's awesome because the eyes are open, too. Yeah, good guy. You can yeah. no, you can get this, it, it, and I and I'm I'm totally gonna plug you because you know I know we want to talk about certain things today, but <laughs> you know your photography is insane, and you've got you know most of it's on so you've got horse feathers, right? But the majority of your stuff is on bradleyorsted.com, right?
1: Yep. I've changed it all. Yes. Thank you so much for the clarification. I've changed it all to bradleyorsted.com per my agent's request as okay. we're trying to find a home for the book and for everything right. else that it was right. just a little confusing for people. Mm-hmm. So we just put it all nested it all under bradleyorsted.com. So my store there, yeah, stuff about my book, about my podcast, about it's one stop shop. It's there.
0: awesome. And I'm going to, like I said, I'll be plugging it. Um, quite a bit anyway, but it's Bradley B R A D L E Y Orsted O R S T E D dot com. If you want to see some great shots and you're looking for wolf photos, bear photos, I don't care what the heck kind of photos. When it comes to uh, uh, wildlife, you gotta go there. It's absolutely awesome, and the podcast and so on and so forth. But I I'm I I know we've we've talked and I know we're gonna do another podcast together. So we're gonna talk about a lot of pivotal changes in your life um, and how that happened and how bears came into it. But I want to talk about one, one last thing with you today. Um, and that is, and you're going to have to preface this for me, but in 2012, you had a meeting with the Crow um, tribe, the Crow uh, Native Americans there in, in Montana, and you started doing a sweat lodge you went into the sweat lodge with them. How did that come about? And just kind of talk to me about that because I've had folks, I've heard experiences that are pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, I've always been drawn to native American culture and religion. And it just seems it made more sense to me than the church I was raised in. Um, so I've always had in, intrigued by that, you know, and read, Black Elk speaks when I was young, and actually met one of his descendants and visited Pine Ridge in the in the early 90s with them. And when we got here to Montana in that class I was talking about that I took, the guy this guy sits down next to me and we start talking, and he's as white as I am. We start talking, and he goes, "I'm Crow Indian." I said, yeah, "Okay," <laughs> and uh, All right. you know, or "You say so, whatever." And um, so as it turns out. <clears throat> he's adopted crow. He's, um, um, white guy like myself. And he's, um, he's adopted, Crow. He grew up, uh, his best friend growing up is crow Indian. And so Michael had followed, stayed with the tribe and, and, uh, was very active, uh, with them. And so we got to be friends. And when I told him what had happened and everything, because the guiding course, you know, I had to go back there and- tell all you know? All my friends, you know, these fellow students were like, "Yay, Brad got a job with YA," and I had to go back and say, "Actually, I didn't." And here's kind of why. And so we started talking, and and he's sober, and um, so he said, "We'll see what we can do about getting you into a sweat and see if that'll help." And I said, "Okay." So we went over 2012 to Crow Fair over Crow Agency in Montana. They do it every year over there, and and so we're kind of sitting there hanging out around camp, teepees, and talking. And this guy pulls up. big, tall, seven foot tall, crow Indian guy and him and Mike start talking. And I see him looking at me. They're both looking back at me and I'm like, what, what are they talking about? And so Mike says, they have agreed to let you into a, into a ceremony because of what you went through and we're going to try to help you. And I said, oh my, you know, so touched. And I said, okay, okay, man, I've read all about it. I've studied this, you know, just like bears. I read all the books. I know all about this stuff, right? I'm a sweat expert. <laughs> reading on this stuff right roadside and so um you know we start driving this old suburban down <clears throat> an old reservation road and mike hands me a cigarette and we both light when we're kind of talking and he goes okay some things you should know i'm like yep i'm all ears tell me i don't you know, i don't want to mess anything up he's the crow sweat hot and i said okay hot got it he goes and the crow sweat naked and I said, okay. He goes, so you're going to be sandwiched in there with a bunch of naked Indians. And once it starts, you cannot leave. And I said, you probably just quit telling me stuff now. I'm good. <laughs> like, oh, you know, it was about to get real. This isn't, that wasn't, it wasn't reading Black Elk Speaks on the library steps and, you know, in, in Boulder, Colorado. This was, right. <clears throat> this was for real. This is their land, their people in a very sacred ceremony. Right. And I really, I was so worried that they were just going to call BS on me, right? Like, I didn't even know why. You know, like, I don't know if you, whenever I walk up to TSA and I see them, I'm like, oh my gosh, my gun and my heroin, which I never carry. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know why I always panic when I get there. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. never have anything. Why do they scare me? But, you know, yeah. I felt like they, like this, they were going to see through me or something like these people are going to say, I mean, these people that are immune with nature are going to look at me and go, this guy's a drunken, unworthy, you know, get him out of here. And so long story short, I sweat in there with them that day, and it was – I saw Marley in that heat, and then that sweat, and then that hurt. And um, I came out of there and went back to camp, and then the next day um, I was invited to a sweat. By another holy man that would be pouring in the same general vicinity, my understanding is where um, Sitting Bull and the Hunk is sweat the night before the battle of Little Bighorn. So um, we went, I went there, and the first one was just me and the guy who poured, who is what I mean by pours, they're the one who runs the ceremony and pours the hot water on the rocks that steams it up inside. <clears throat> and they pray um, this next time. The first one, it was just four of us. This next time, it's during Crow Fair, and there's a bunch of Lakota there as well. And I had been fortunate to be able to attend a Sundance ceremony prior to this, which not many Caucasians are invited to. And all I can say is that um, one one of the Crow people there told me that Christians let Jesus do it for them. We do it ourselves. And they pierce and rip flesh-free. Right. So they sacrifice the flesh themselves yeah. they don't light off on somebody else and so um, when we went to do this sweat <laughs> these guys start taking their shirts off <laughs> their chest and backs are nothing but scars from sun dancing oh my god from ripping loose and the one guy looks at me and he goes it's gonna get hot in there today and I was like oh no because they took it easy on me I think the first time and so s- ceremony again sandwiched in there with a bunch of me and a bunch of naked Indians and someone leading. And uh, when I came out, the guy that was leading it pulled me to the side. I told him why I was in there. And he asked me to pray for Marlene, for myself when I was in there. And so I did. And I saw her again. And he pulled me out and he said, very stoically, very classic Native American. He said, your time to mourn is over. And I said, what? You know, this was only, it only been two years. Said your time is to mourn is over. You need to be a man. You need to get a hold of yourself, and you need to be there for your family and your community. The time to mourn is over. They pushed me away. Oh my gosh. And um, so we went. Uh, we all we went swimming then in the Little Bighorn River. All all of us, you know, fresh out of a sweat, naked, a bunch of kids, you know, out in the river together. And and I had we got dressed and we were getting ready to go. And I had so many of these crow and Lakota come up and hug them or break down. Um, That's okay. they hugged me. They told me how proud, you know, they were to know me and, and to stay tough and to stay strong and to stay anchored and to pray to my creator and ask for strength and healing. And, um, it's just so wonderful for, a, um, relationship between two races. that has been pretty damn strained. for for damn good reasons Absolutely. and they took me in and they welcomed me into their culture and their community and they fed me and they put up a teepee for me and i stayed with them and, you know we went to drumming together to the arbor to the dancing together i ate with them i slept with them i prayed with them i smoked with them they're the most beautiful wonderful caring people who just um you know if you think you got bad you got something bad go tell a native American about your problems. Yeah. <laughs> go tell them about your woes. Right. Yeah. These are people who've had <clears throat> 150 years of genocide, yeah. you know, and still. in their culture and the fact that it's still happening and the fact that they take me in as a Caucasian guy was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm so thankful for them and they have prayed and accepted me. And I've, I do not claim to know crow ways, One bit, but the little bit I do know has been so helpful. And, um, he told me that in 2012, unfortunately I didn't have the wherewithal, um, or the courage to take his advice. It took many more years before of spending time with the crow people before those lessons started to really sink in. But it was, um, again, all the therapy and counselors and psychotherapists and all of this, I never felt the peace I felt post sweat lodge with my native American brothers. That's the most peaceful. And like, you know, those times in your life where you're like, I'm at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. doing the exact thing that I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah. And they, I, I'm internally indebted to, to my crow friends, to my Lakota friends and my Cheyenne friends.
0: How, so do you still, are you still um, a part of, of, that culture as they have allowed and actually graciously um, brought you in, I think there's a, a need. And, and I, I, I think that's, I'm actually, I'm speechless, which is really difficult for, to do to me. Um, because I think it's so touching and so, um, wow. Just wow. you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you utilize that? how, how have you taken because you said it you, you didn't have it with you within you at the time because this was you said 2012, right when this first occurred with you? Correct? Um, yeah. So you know I mean it's been almost ten years, eight, nine, nine years. How do you continue to utilize yeah. that experience? and there was something you had said, about a miracle to me before. Yeah. And I'm curious of that. So.
1: Yeah. So I I have stayed in touch. And some of my best friends uh, now are are Crow people, Um, Native people. They're my dearest best friends. Um, So I just kept going back after 2012. And, you know, it was one of those things when, you know, when I was younger and I was in sales, I used to joke with people that, we have two ways of doing this. You can either buy something from me or file a restraining order. So what do we, what do we want to do today? Like and so that was kind of my approach with the crow people. Like, um, you can you feel free to file a restraining order. If I'm bothering you. And, you know, but I came there and I worked my ass off for them, too. There's a lot of older people that um, can't put lodges up, teepees up anymore. So I put teepees up for them. And then last summer we went and cut teepee poles which is, A lot of hard work for crow elders who can't get out and cut poles for themselves anymore. So it's a big part of service is giving back. And um, I'll give a little tidbit from, from what will probably be the next one. But in 2018, I got sober. And one of my crow, several of my crow friends helped me tremendously to get sober. And I had something tragic happen. Again, something small and precious that was killed. Um, when I was, we can talk more in depth about that next time. Um, that happened when I was about six months sober and I knew I was going to drink. I was headed home that night. I'm going to drink six months sober and they just killed things I love again. And I give up. And so the only question was whether I was going to stop at the liquor store at a gas station to get hard liquor, or I was going to stop at a gas station and I just get beer. And so, you know, I'm just crying and I'm upset and I know I'm going to drink again and screw sobriety. And I got home and uh, we live five miles up at four service road and I go home and I go, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to get alcohol. Hmm. I thought, forget it. It's nine o'clock at night. Just go to bed. So the next day, um, my dear friends, Rachel old coyote called me crow Indian. And she said, had a bad day yesterday, huh? And I said, yeah, it was, it was a horrible day yesterday. And she goes, I know. She goes, that's why I prayed. I knew you were going to drink. I felt it. And I prayed to the creator. And I told him, I asked him, will you please, please take away his desire to drink tonight? He's done so good. And this is really messed up. Whatever's happening, I don't know what it is. But please take away his desire to drink just tonight. You know, and I just started crying Mm. and and she goes, the reason I'm calling you, Brad, is because I told him to give it back to you twice as hard today to make (laughs) you earn it. But I asked him to take that away from you yesterday. And I said, oh, my God, did you hear about the orphans being killed? And she said, honey, I don't know anything about any orphans. I got to get back to work.
0: Wow.
1: I would. um... She knew that I was in a bad place and she felt something. And she said, please just take that away from him tonight. His desire to, and that's exactly what happened. I totally forgot that I was supposed to be getting drunk and sad. I totally forgot. And when I got home, I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm home. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make another 10 mile drive for a bottle of vodka. She knew it was a miracle. It's a connection. And it
0: is one that when you're open to it, it's there. And here's a people that believe and feel and know these things, and you have that connection. You know, you are truly, truly, truly blessed with these people in your life. And I think that you're surrounded by not just people but entities we'll just call them wildlife wildness people so on and so forth that have really kind of helped build Bradley you know to who who he needs to be and who he has become and I thank you so much for sharing that especially with Everyone, because I think there's, we talk about the Native Americans and how we as a white people and a government continue to create, and I will say it, genocide on <laughs> On such an incredible people. And I, it's very difficult as a white person to even remotely attempt to talk about it because I don't know it. I know of it, um, but... It's important that we recognize that they still are there and that we need to change things um, for them and give back, in my opinion. But um, what an amazing journey you've had. And I thank you so much for talking to me about this and to everyone, because I think that this is probably one of the most important conversations I've had. Um, And I'm really thankful that it's you that I'm having it with. And I think that to preface the next um, podcast that you and I do, um, you still weren't sober. You still had a lot to go. You were still beating yourself up. You were still carrying on. And it took, and I think this goes with what had just happened, but it took some orphan bear cubs to literally get you sober. And that journey. And we want to talk about that again. Will you do that with me?
1: I'd love to. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the orphans all day, every yeah. day to anyone that'll listen. Well,
0: <laughs> we're going to do that. But I really want to thank you for opening yourself up and being vulnerable and helping me be vulnerable as well, because I am a stoic individual But I appreciate it, and your journey and your passions and your ability to give um, has been unique and amazing, and you continue, and um, until part two, three, four, five, six, whatever we choose to do in the future, and I thank you for this one, at least the (laughs) beginning. Um, Everybody, please go to bradorstead.com. Bradley Orsted, sorry, dot com. Check out his story. Check out the blog. Um, there's so many different things that you can do just from that, but we're going to really hit on Brad and the rest of his journey to today. Um, and then maybe even, I'm really pushing it out there, you know, but maybe even venture off into all these different arms because there's you are so complex and there is so much, but for today, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Um, it's just been a pleasure and a gift and I'm, I'm just so happy that I've had this time with you today.
1: The pleasure and honor is all mine. You know, it's really been a part of, like you say, my journey and my recovery to, to share this, um, message of hope, you know, healing in nature with everyone, you know, when I got sober, I, I took a knee in the dirt with the orphans out and uh, out in the field. And I asked my creator and I asked my daughter to stay with me and just said, if you guys will stay with me, then I'll stay strong and I'll stay sober and I'll tell our story. So we'll get back to it on the, on the next one. That's
0: perfect. Brad, thanks again. We'll talk real soon.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Whew. That was an amazing, amazing conversation. I really hope you all enjoyed it um, as much as I did. And I hope you got out of it um, so much of what I did. It's about moments. Moments can bring so much clarity. Um, anyway, I am absolutely um, excited and I uh, can't wait to continue this story with Brad. There's so much more to tell and so many things on the horizon for him and for us with Brad, actually. So hang out with us. Uh, we will be doing this again very, very, very soon. Um, we're in the making now of, of actually going forward uh, with the next podcast. But in the meantime, um, please check Brad out. Uh, BradleyOrstead.com. It's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y dot com. You can find his blog, his store, because seriously, the photos will drop you. They're amazing. Um, and um, his podcast and his writings. And so you're going to be able to find pretty much everything starting there at BradleyOrstead.com. And then tune back in. Uh, we are going to do this again. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Brad. You truly are filling my heart, and I thank you for that. Um, so we want to be able to thank the people that allow us to do this for you. And so let's talk about it. SKB cases, which is, uh, I, I won't trust any other box to hold my camera equipment, my podcast equipment, or anything that I travel with. Um, SKB cases are phenomenal, awesome cases. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. GVM, great video maker, lighting. You guys try to make me look okay, and I appreciate that when I'm doing Zooms and things like that. So thank you to GVM, uh, great video making, lighting. Um, Once again, everybody, please tune back in. Uh, Make sure you uh, um, reach out to me if there's something that really is compelling to you, something that you enjoyed with the podcast and want to talk more about, or something you just want to know more about do not hesitate to contact me at kim at wolvesoftherockies.org, and I promise you we will chat more later. Thanks so much for joining me. See you soon. Y'all stay wild.